In this edition of the podcast, Afra Shemza invites collaborators from all around the world to contribute to a new online work destined for a real life. We'll hear about the inspiration and how recognition of artwork historically dismissed led to the development of Shemza.digital. I'm Tim Stackpole and this is Inside the Gallery. Welcome once again to the podcast and welcome to our first podcast for the new year. And once again, the transcripts of our interview are available online for the hearing impaired, made possible by the support from Pixel Perfect Pro Lab. And they do great things for art photographers and spend a great deal of effort recreating photographic works of art with a special emphasis on faithful colour reproduction and rendering. And you can visit them online, of course, at pixelperfect.com.au. And those transcripts I mentioned are also available on our website, insidethegallery.com.au. Okay, let's head to the UK straight away and learn about Afra Shemza's online project, who, along with fellow artist Stuart Batchelor, is calling for collaborators right around the world. Inspired by 1 to 9 and 1 to 7, which is a painting by her late grandfather, the world-renowned British-Pakistani artist Anwar Jalal Shemza. And we'll get the story behind this project as Afra joins us online via Zoom. Afra, thanks for logging on. Thanks so much for having me. Really pleased to be here. Let's first talk about your own art. For anyone who may not be familiar with it, plenty of geometry in there, shapes and, of course, light in your work. Somewhat different to your grandfather's work, but still some influence, I guess. Yeah, so my grandfather um, unfortunately died before I was born um, in 1985, mm. but I've always had a really deep connection with him and his artwork. Um, I've grown up surrounded by his paintings in our family home. And so I really feel like he's been one of my biggest inspirations. I've also had a kind of a Western art school education though as well. So as well as using geometry and abstraction, I'm influenced by movements like the Bauhaus and Western modernism, um, where artists like Laszlo Maholi Nagy used abstraction and kind of minimalism within their works and kind of later as well, uh, artists like Donald Judd mm-hmm. and kind of artists in America that were working with kind of abstract forms. And even a bit later still, also inspired by movements like the light and space movement in California. So artists like James Turrell and Dan Flavin, who were working with light. So light's also quite important part of my mm. work. Mm. So you've got this kind of dual culture, the my heritage, and then also this kind of Western art school education as well, so that it kind of combines with the two of them. Yeah, I, I was going to ask you if your heritage weighs heavily in your work. I'm just that disconnection you have from your grandfather because he passed away before you were born. Mm. Do you feel that you have that connection nonetheless? Do you work your way back to that heritage? Yeah, so I think more increasingly now I've become more interested. So I'm the manager of the estate of my grandfather's work. So I've, right, I've always kind of right. been deeply immersed in that world. But I think Only really within the last sort of year or so, I've been dealing with an archive of his. So press cuttings and newspaper clippings and kind of images of him and images and writings from uh, his work that he was sending back home to his friends in Pakistan. And it's really started becoming really important for me to find out more information. 
And I feel mm-hmm. like in this kind of increasingly polarized society that I'm living in in the UK here, that it's something really important to sort of delve into and explore further. And so I've been exploring a bit more Islamic geometry. Yes, um, yes. Kind of those Eastern influences and kind of practicing that within my own art practice to understand a little bit more about those kind of the sort of noble way in which you kind of work with geometry mm. in a different way that, than perhaps I have been up until now. So, yeah, it's definitely... Um, something that I'm very interested in at the moment. I, w- I want to ask you about some particular challenges that you may face because of that position, but can I just go back to what you said earlier about the polarising situation you find yourself in the UK? Can you describe how you see that polarisation? So in the UK, obviously, we've had a kind of, we've had the, you know, the horrible Brexit words that, that's been kind of happening here. And so what it's meant right. is there's been there's been quite a lot of sort of national unrest about people who would consider that there's a kind of polarizing nature between you know the born and bred British and the the migrant uh, what would I what would you call it migrant population basically are people who Mm. have come from other places and so I feel Mm. especially now because I have this heritage my grandfather came over to London in the 50s from Pakistan he was a very early kind of migrant artist that have only really recently had a kind of a rethinking in British art history and kind of been given their rightful place. And a lot of that is to do with this kind of Western viewpoint of art history and what it means to be British. And so at the mm. moment, we're kind of, there's this sort of sense of pride or national identity. And there are also these other stories that are being explored and given their sort of rightful places. And I think it's really an interesting point to be exploring these topics in, you know, and exploring my heritage and kind of getting that out to the public. In, in terms of this polarisation, though, do you think that, I'm not using the correct words here, but are we seeing a renaissance of what the UK and what Britain went through perhaps in the 60s and 70s? Are we seeing that again? Um, well, that was before I was born. <laughs> I'm not sure. (laughs) Well, given your education and your understanding of history, I wonder whether what you learnt about in terms of the history Mm. of of where you are, where you live, whether you think this is reminiscent of that. I mean, I'm Mm. I'm just after your perspective on that. I feel like we're sort of, we're in a sort of difficult realm at the moment with the want or need for some some parts of some people in this country to sort of be saying, well, they're not from here or we're, they're not my neighbours, you know, and there's this sort of split between uh, we are all connected and we're all living in this country and we're yeah. all in it together to this kind of difficulty yeah. there and friction between sort of different kind of cultures or different different ways mm. of doing things. And I think really now it's really important. And I think that the arts Mm. have a role, a really crucial role, I think, to play in sort of bringing people together and and, and sort of highlighting these, you know, how crazy that is. And over centuries, art has always reflected the social standings at the time, which is why I'm asking this question, because it comes down to how you've been influenced and how you're feeling and then how you are reflecting that in your work. So let's move on to how you find yourself, do you find yourself split in terms of your heritage in that respect? Do you need to pay respect to all the different influences and and all the different types of nationalities that make up your heritage? I think maybe it depends sort of project to project and the different themes that I'm exploring within the work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I guess previously I hadn't so much explored my Pakistani heritage or the Islamic so it had been inherently there within the work because I use abstraction 
but I hadn't really, it wasn't necessarily the, the, the present themes that I'd been exploring. I'd been working a lot with kind of um, ideas of spirituality and the cosmos and kind of functional, almost, almost like split between art and design almost and thinking about um, sustainability and these kind of ideas. So only really in this, this, this project, this new project, Shemza Digital, it, it's been the first time that I've actually delved into exploring my heritage as a theme within my art practice. And, and I think it's been spurred on by this kind of understanding and knowledge, more knowledge about my grandfather's work and the feeling that right now is a good time to be discussing these things and wanting to kind of go ahead and and continue that and I feel like whenever I open up a kind of theme in my work it becomes a life's work you know so I think that this will this will be something that I explore as I go forward. Sure when we talk about your practice and looking at your work as you mentioned earlier light plays a big part and it looks to me as if you're really taking advantage of let's say LED technology I'm guessing is what you're using in some of this artwork that I'm seeing online is it because the technology has evolved to that point where this becomes more convenient to use light or have you always somehow incorporated light into your work? Yeah, advances in technology is it have been absolutely amazing. So I work a lot with interactive um, technologies, so bespoke circuits that I solder at home. And these, these kind of advances in technology have allowed me to create my own interactive sculptures so as well as using light, I also use interactivity. And I do this by using these different microcontrollers that are kind of like mini computers, such as the Arduino or the Raspberry Pi. I embed these pieces in my sculptures and then I use sound, maybe a sound sensor, so like a microphone or a distance sensor that can tell where a person is in space in relationship to my sculpture. And then I take in readings from them into the computers and then I display that back out on the lights that I use. And this has only really been possible within the last kind of 10 years, this kind of technology that's become avail readily available, fairly low cost. Um, and there have been these global kind of communities of kind of hackers and coders talking to each other and kind of furthering this, uh, this type of way of working. So it's been amazing for me to kind of be right at the forefront of those developments with my practice. Yeah, and let me ask, how did you, did you teach yourself how to work with these mini microprocessors? Mm, a lot of it is is self-taught, yeah. So mm. at university, I studied in London at Middlesex University. There was a technician in the plastic workshop, I think, where we, and he was a kinetic sculptor and he's called Mark Lohman. And he basically taught me from that very young age how to make bespoke kinetic circuits so working with motors basically motors and switches and it was very basic it wasn't kind of microelectronics it was really just a switch a power supply a switch and a motor um, but that's how I really started getting into electronics mm. and he was very influential in my early work I created a lot of kinetic sculptures because I was interested in creating works that gave a kind of unique or momentary experience with the viewer um, and so I think that's kind of where I got interested in kind of taking it further and so a lot of it is is DIY um yeah making kind of making my circuits hacking talking to other people later on I was kind of a member of the London hack space which is the kind of place where <laughs> artists and hackers can kind of meet and, and figure things out together so yeah it's it is it's it's fun it's a nice community this is a great collision between art and technology 
Was there a time when you created art that wasn't built around this type of technology? Yeah, absolutely. So I started from a very young age, but I suppose at that mm. point it was all very much 2D. So it was drawing and painting. I kind of, I quite quickly, when I sort of started studying before university, I quite quickly moved from 2D to 3D and became really mm. interested in sculpture, but but not necessarily technology. It wasn't until I saw an exhibition at Tate by the Brazilian artist Sildo Mieles in about 2008, maybe. And he, it was the first time I'd ever seen an, an art exhibition of an artist that was working with non-traditional media. So there was technology used, there was huge immersive installations uh, mm. where you could pick things up and and kind of, you know, and be immersed in this art. And that was the first time I'd ever seen art that wasn't, you know, a sculpture on a pedestal or a, pit, a painting on the wall. And this right. really spurred me forward to to start experimenting on my own and creating these kind of more immersive installations. At the time, I was working with CCTV cameras being inspired by Bruce Nauman, um, UV lights and things like that. So, yeah, and then I started kind of fusing all these things together that I'd learned later down the line. Yeah. So this now leads us to the core of what we want to talk about, and that's Shemza.digital which is the work you're developing and is online at the moment. First of all, I guess you need to describe this to us and how did it all come together? Yeah, so I'm going to give you a little bit of history about the project mm -hmm. um, and how it kind of came together. So, and it starts really with my grandfather, Anvar Jalal Shemza, who was a Pakistani abstract painter who came over to London in the 50s to study at the Slade School of Fine Art. Whilst he was at Slade, his art history lecturer was one of the very well-regarded Ernst Gombrich, who wrote the story of art that was published in 1950. Mm -hmm. And this was the history of art from an entirely Western point of view. Um, and we know now, so now it, it wasn't unusual then that in one of my grandfather's art history lecturers, he was really dismayed to hear his lecturer, Gombrich. He dismissed all Islamic art as being purely functional. Oh, yes. And he was really frustrated and upset by this, you know, because he was basically his, his heritage was being denied. Mm. So he went home that evening and he destroyed all the work that he had created so far in the UK. And he decided to go back to basic and work with the square and the circle. And so he wanted to combine Western modernism with Eastern influences. Mm -hmm. and there's this beautiful quote that he created in one of his works in 1962, which is one circle, one square, one problem, one life is not enough to solve it. Yes. And for me, this really became the starting point of the Shemsa Digital Project. I'm, I think I mentioned before that I'm the manager of the estate of, of my grandfather's work. And our main aim is to provide a platform for the work of my grandfather. And I've seen through my work in the estate that over the last 10 years, there's been a kind of rethinking of British art history and migrant artists are being given the recognition that they really deserve. And I felt like these new advances in the art world, they haven't really filtered down yet into the school curriculum. Mm. And I wanted to find a way to introduce my grandfather's work to the, to the public um, and also ask them to become actively involved in art making as a way to do this. So I feel in my own practice, I'm working with technology, I work with sculpture, I work with physical materials often. And I've kind of mentioned that I work with interactivity. That's a really core part of my work. And due to the pandemic, my life and work has been kind of turned a bit upside down. And 
and I was forced to adapt my practice to this new world that we find ourselves in today. Very much so. It's a, it's a tale that everyone is telling at the moment. Absolutely, exactly. So I wanted to find a way where I could take a key aspects of my practice, which is interactivity, and create a project that the public could participate in whilst they were at home, self-isolating. Yeah. So a kind of project that could bring people together whilst we were all, you know, so distant from each other. Mm. And a couple of years ago, I, I, I run an art organization called Art in Flux, which I co-founded with two other artists, Maria Amina and Oliver Gingrich. And we're an artist charity for artists working at the intersection of art and technology. And a couple of years ago, I met the artist Stuart Batchelor, who came to speak at one of our social events. And since then, Stuart and I have worked together on different workshops and exhibitions that we've held at the VNA and other other kind of places like that. And I really admired his work. He combines traditional painting with digital computational art. Mm -hmm. So, and I was thinking about this project and I thought, well, it'd be perfect to collaborate with Stuart on this. So Shems Digital is basically a digital painting app that Stuart and I have created that is based on my grandfather's painting style. So we've developed three digital paints Right. The Squirkle, which has become the mascot <laughs> for the whole project, really, which we love, which is a square and a circle, uh-huh. uh, hence the name. We have the mosaic paint and we have the weave paint. And the public are invited to log on to go onto our website and create their own digital paintings and then submit their paintings to our online archive. And so you can see on the archive, everybody that has submitted a painting, you can explore that. Wow. We've had nearly 300 paintings submitted already, yeah. which is just fantastic. And it's it's really, uh, it's just a fantastic way of working for me. Every morning I get to wake up <laughs> and see these, the new paintings that have been created. Lovely, and it's so yes. exciting. Yes. So the idea with this project is that we keep the the digital painting app will be live for the public to interact with and and create their own works. And there are some lovely videos and things on there that people can explore the history and the heritage side of things and the context of British art history and migrant artists and their different voices. And then we we want to take our archive or online archive and turn these these drawings that people have created into large-scale light art installations. So that would be our hope to kind of make these into physical things that we Mm. can kind of explore and tour around as an exhibition. Mm. So COVID, in a way, has developed for you and inspired you to create something that you're really quite excited by. Yeah, I never – it was kind of interesting for me because I I sort of – I'm slightly on the edge of the digital art scene because I – predominantly work with physical materials mm. so wood metal plastic I'm quite a traditional sculptor in that sense although I embed technology as well but a lot of my peers work with computer generated art software based art artwork on screens you know there's a lot of projection and things like that yeah and so the covid situation really pushed my pushed me in their way of thinking well I want to be able to exhibit I want to be able to show my work I want to be able to share my work with the public and I can't do that if we can't go to, you know, shared physical real life spaces. Yeah, yeah, galleries, so yeah. And so how can I a new language, you know, um, to do that? And, th- and this is with, with technology, with, with computational devices and gener- generative 
code and things like that so yeah, yeah it's it's definitely pushed my pushed me in a new way of working yeah and I'm definitely excited by it and the other thing is too about what you're doing okay so you've come up with a concept where everyone can collaborate and create artwork and give input to your project which is great to see online and we can all enjoy that and then the next step is once we can emerge from this hibernation is for you to turn these into actual material works of art as well. So it's kind of like everything is just rolling ahead, almost as if it's predestined and predetermined. However, like every step is like a new work of art in itself. Yeah, I think that's what makes it so exciting. And and also Stuart and I, we've we've begun with the interactive painting application. You know, that's kind of our first artwork in a mm. sense. And then the online archive, as we have it now in the form that it is now, that's almost another artwork. Mm. And we want to develop the archive. You know, it could be an interactive archive that could be shown in an exhibition space and also develop different ways of displaying these paintings. Um, in a real-time way so it could be a holographic it could be using holographic technology it could be using um, layers it could be using led you know so that there are now that we have these kind of these the the data i suppose of the painting you know the the content we can then change it we can then use this content to create kind of probably multiple installations probably for the rest of our lives you know this is kind of a a huge kind of undertaking yes but i think it's exciting it's exciting to take the public on this journey with us you know that there's a sense of ownership as well not it's not just our work it's we are collaborators with the public mm. and and we're also collaborating with the, compu- the computers as well we're kind mm. of collaborating with this technology mm. you're facilitating yeah. the interaction i just want to digress a, a moment and just explore this a little bit more if i can talk about disruption of art and this is kind of what you're doing where there was a time you know maybe more towards last century where when your work was hanging in a gallery or when any artist's work was hanging in a gallery, it gave that artist and their work a level of legitimacy. Now, like all manner of self-publishing, we can now put our work, our artwork or whatever, we can publish it online, whether it's the written word, whether it's visual arts or or performing arts or, or anything like that. We can now publish online and make it available to thousands and thousands of people. Do you think, though, do you still think, though, in terms of the the third step that you're doing, like taking the virtual works and making them physical again, turning them into material works, that we still need to have material works in order for the artwork to be legitimate? Is the online space or the virtual space still not giving us legitimacy as artists? Do we still need to create a material form of our art in order for it to be to be recognised and respected? don't think that we need to create physical works at all no I think Stuart and I could make virtual iterations and if if Covid doesn't allow us to go back into the gallery space that Mm. is what we will do we'll create virtual maybe VR installations with these things Mm. to create virtual space I think I think for me it's just a the reason why I want to turn it into physical installations is because that is my kind of passion you know to make lights sculptures that's really something that's a basis in my work um but many of many of the artists that we work with in with art in flux you know don't create physical pieces mm. at all and um and i don't think that that stops it from being 
legitimate. I also think that a lot of these museums and you know institutions now are looking for ways, are exhibiting works that are you know that use VR or that are predominantly mm. online. I mean, the VNA Museum have a sort of software-based kind of computer art. Uh, collection and Tate have their time-based media collection and they've been kind of building that up and I think really the challenge is there is more about how we conserve these things how we make sure that they they last the test of time that Mm -hmm. they can be Mm -hmm. experienced and understood you know historically Um, and I think those kind of questions are really interesting and is something that I've explored within my practice I was funded by the Arts Council a couple of years ago for a solutions for a sustainable art practice and this was to do with this idea of using technology and using digital media but for me I felt like it was really important that the artists at the beginning you know the artists we are thinking about the the legacy and the conservation of the works that we produce yeah Um, so that that I think is maybe one of the reasons why a lot of technology-based works haven't really, they've not been standing up the test of time because we just need to think a little bit more about conservation, I yeah. suppose. Yeah, <laughs> and how we can make them accessible to people as easily yeah. as walking into a gallery and seeing canvases hanging on a wall. But I do think the most astonishing works I've seen over the last five years or so have been those that look like they're virtual work. So they're projections on shapes in galleries and how those shapes and forms are changed by the projection that's on them, for instance. I'm, I'm finding that incredibly engaging, but I don't know how I take that home. You know, that's the challenge that I find. How do I I mean, I can photograph it, I can video it, but I can't hang it on my wall. Do you know what I mean? So it's um, it's tough in that respect. And maybe that's the reason why I raised the question with you as to how do we take such artworks home? How do we how do we take one of your light sculpture pieces, one of your interactive pieces home? Is Is that not the type of art that you create? It's not meant for that, maybe. Actually, so I actually don't, I've, I've made some installations in my time, but I actually make a sculpture that is kind of freestanding. And mm. although it has technology inside it, it is, uh, it just has a plug, you know, you plug it in. So I do sell my artworks. I sell, I sell them to private clients. I've mm. sold them to um, commercial, I've done big commercial projects and actually in terms of my peers, I, I guess in a sense, my a lot of my work that I've done previously is packaged mm. in a way in which people could take it home. Um, and they do, which is great, which is very good for me and my livelihood. Um, but yeah, for me, for me, the beginnings of my when I was thinking about how I wanted to work with technology, I didn't I didn't want to work with a projector and a wall or a because to me I wanted I did want these little units, mm. these sculptural units that could be easily installed. You know, I was thinking about installation for exhibitions and things like that. I just wanted to take my work out of the box and plug it in, mm. and it did. Mm. It just set itself up and it did what it needed to do, rather than these complex installations that other that I'd seen other artists be doing. You know, um, so I think it's all about learning and sort of trying to find a language that works for you. So I, I guess in a sense, I do cross over into that that more traditional way of art making as well. So there are these kind of dual qualities. And also thinking about, well, if I'm creating an online archive, maybe some of these paintings could be turned into prints or yes. maybe they could turn into a film that could be shown on the screen that could then, you know. So there, there are all these kind of different ideas of how 
how you kind of package something in a way that allows people to take it. Yes. To take it home. Yes. Yeah. In terms of coming back to Shemsa Digital, you talked about there being more than 300 artworks by collaborators have already been uploaded. Where, where do you draw the line with this? Where does that stop? <laughs> well, it could it could go on forever. I mean, the, we we think that we, we want to keep the painting application up for about a year, I think. Yeah. So we're hoping to have, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands wow. maybe by okay. that, by the end of that year. So we'd really like a real huge wealth of data. Um, and also people... So we'd like lots of people to collaborate and to engage with the project and learn about um, migrant art and learn about computer art and and create their own paintings, you know. And we we think with these light art installations, we could still have the painting app available when these were happening. So you could actually maybe they could be updated in real time. Oh, right. So you could have someone in one room, you know, uploading their painting to the the archive. And then as it uploads to the archive, it also uploads straight to the installation. And that could be quite exciting. Yes. You know, you could be there with a QR code at an outdoor light installation, light, light festival, sorry, for example. Mm. You know, and on your phone, you could create your digital painting and send it mm. to the installation. The installation responds automatically. So mm. you automatically see your, your input. And that to me is sort of really exciting and and so we, I think we want we want to keep them. I don't think we will kind of end it. It will just become a case of how much server space we need for yeah, all these right. things. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> outstanding possibilities there, Afra. <laughs> Is there anything else you're working on at the moment? Yeah. So at the moment, I'm working with Art in Flux, the charitable organisation mm-hmm. that I run. I curated and organized an event called Shifting Ground, where we launched the Shemsa Digital Project. And so I often curate events and exhibitions for around artists working with technology and more recently I've been creating events around South Asian artists and cultural heritage of South Asian British artists. Mm -hmm. We're working with the National Gallery X which is a new um, part of the National Gallery for Art and Tech uh, in collaboration with Google Labs and King's College. We're working on a series of new events that will be centred around um, artists working with technology around different themes. So I think I'll be working on an ecological themed event and hopefully again, a sort of cultural heritage event. And I'm also obviously creating new works, yeah. which is great. I'm about to release a new limited edition light sculpture and looking to, to do more kind of educational workshops and things next year, which will be exciting. So you're not going through a quiet patch at all? <laughs> No, there was there was about a month of where everything kind of went very quiet at the very beginning yes. of, you know, first lockdown. And, and it was sort of, oh, most of my work was events and things at that yes. point. And it was it was like, oh, dear, how do how do we adapt? But I think as an artist, you you kind of you adapt very quickly and you innovate in these times. And I think that's what I've seen a lot with within my artist kind of community that. Yeah, there was a bit of a lull, but we all sort of got our heads in order and and came up with some exciting ways of dealing with things, you know. Yeah, it was it was with. very difficult to determine which direction to take and where we could go because we didn't know what was going to happen day to day, week to week. You really couldn't make any plans. Yeah, absolutely. And I think now, I mean, still now, we don't know if we will be able to make these physical light art installations or or whether we'll need to delay that till twenty twenty two. So I guess with all of our planning, it's about being flexible and having kind of multiple options, you know, to, yeah, go one way or the other. Irrespective, it'll be spectacular to see. Yeah.
Afra, great to talk to you and to learn so much about your background, especially the technology that you're putting behind your artwork and how enthusiastic you are about all of this and the work you're doing with Stuart too, the collaboration with the public through the app. It's great stuff. And thank you so much for speaking with us on Inside the Gallery. Thank you so much for having me, Tim. It's been a real pleasure. That's Afra Shemza in the UK there talking about her online project. And if you want to learn more, or better still, collaborate by creating your own art and then uploading it, head to shemza.digital. That's S-H-E-M-Z-A dot digital. And you'll find a link anyway to that site at our site, www.insidethegallery.com.au, as well as a link to our transcripts, thanks to Pixel Perfect Pro Lab, and to our Facebook and Instagram pages too, And there's also a link there where you can sign up to our mailing list, which will only ever alert you to one of our new episodes when it's published. No junk mail, I promise you that. So wherever you are around the world, keep supporting the arts as best you can. And again, socially distance as locally advised. I'm Tim Stackpole. Catch you again soon.